Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It is good to be together to worship God. Sunday nights are a special time. We appreciate the opportunity to fellowship with each other, but especially to sing praise and pour out our adoration and worship to God. We're thankful to have three different groups back home with us tonight. We're thankful that the youth have had a wonderful trip to Rush. We're thankful that Firm Foundation class, David Burka's class, had a good weekend camping. And we're thankful that the young adults, that they had, a great retreat and that everybody is back home safely and uh, it's good to be together. Speaking of being together, remember family day, one week from today. Uh, we'll be together the regular hours on Sunday morning, but then on Sunday afternoon at four o'clock, we'll be having a picnic in the park. Of course, worship will first take place in the park at four o'clock and then five o'clock, the picnic and then some activities and, and the children's activities and also family activities. And uh, we just look forward to that time together. As mentioned before, if you can bring the side items and the dessert is going to be taken care of, the prime timers class is going to serve us ice cream. And so uh, we're thankful for that and we look forward to that. And uh, also, real important, we have some real pretty postcards to advertise the family day and especially at the park. They're scattered throughout the foyer. If you'll put a couple of these in your purse, your wallet, maybe not in your wallet, then it'd look bad. But you know what I'm saying. Put it on your person or in your vehicle and be praying about who you're going to invite and get this out over the next couple of days. There are a lot of people we could reach out to if we would just be intentional. Uh, we'll also probably tonight or tomorrow be sending out a little ad for social media. If you'll help us blast it through social media, that's probably one of the most effective ways that we can. But it's still that personal contact. Who is it that you can be praying about? Who is it that you can invite them and tell them that you'll meet them, that you'll, you'll uh, sit with them? Let's make sure that we reach out to our family. Let's make sure that as a church family we're together. And uh, let's make sure that it's just a good day to God's glory. It's good as a church family to be able to spend time together. Many of us work together and, uh, and we're in that setting often, but it's nice sometimes to be able to slow down a little bit and just spend an evening together. And we look forward to that, relaxing together and uh, allowing the sun to go down upon that good fellowship together. There will be a worship here at six o'clock for those that, that that simply is not best for you. And uh, we want to encourage everybody to be mindful and prayerful of that great day that we have coming up. When we think about the awesome responsibility that we have to be parents, surely in this room there are many that your children have already left home, but as a church family, we have many that their children haven't left home. And so out of over a hundred sermons a year that's preached from the pulpit, we need to take some time occasionally, and it's been several years, really it's, it's overdue. We need to spend two or three lessons thinking about the great and wonderful opportunity that God gives us that comes to us as a responsibility that God gives us to make sure that we're doing everything we can do to raise our children in a way that would be pleasing to God. Do you realize that one of the things that we are all about, not because we designed it, because God designed it, we are all about evangelism. The Great Commission truly is, by estimation, a great commission. One of the greatest things we can do is care for the souls of our children. 
How foolish would it be if we spent so much time and prayer and energy and concerned about other people's souls, but yet we neglected the very souls of our children. Last week, we talked about the fact that there is an ultimate destination that we as parents ought to have in mind for our children. It's not that when they reach an accountable age, we can live our life for them. We can't. They'll have to decide. But what it is as parents that we can do that would lay the proper foundation in place so that they would be committed in their faith. They would have their own faith and not be riding piggyback on our faith. God has no grandchildren. We must make sure that our children's faith becomes their faith in their God. And so we have this great and wonderful opportunity that is that great responsibility. Now tonight I'd like for us to think about something that's a little bit shorter term, not that ultimate destination, although it can play a major role in it. I'd like for us to think about the very unique destination that lies before us as parents. I don't know of any other situation on earth where we as parents have such a unique relationship that's been given to us. It's interesting when we ask, where's the first time that parenting is mentioned in the scriptures? Oftentimes I'll ask that in class settings and I've asked many of you in class settings in the times past. I've asked in workshops and seminars and as a rule of thumb, if nobody has heard that question before, they usually get it wrong. If you have never been asked that before, you're probably, if you know your Bible very well, most people will think and they'll say, Genesis 4. We see the birth of Cain and Abel, and that's the first time that parenting is mentioned. And it's not. It's two chapters earlier than that. If you have your Bible, open up to Genesis 2. And this, of course, is the passage that takes us back to the creation of Adam and Eve all about relationship. God was in relationship with mankind and God knew that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone and God created Eve. And when he brought Eve, we read in verse 24 what God injected into this passage to make sure that we understood exactly what this pattern of the family was to be. And so he says in 2 and 24, therefore a man shall leave who? His father and mother. The first time parenting is mentioned in the scriptures, and it's one of the great principles that will help us. Now, keep in mind, it's the great principle that will help us do parenting right. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here is a home, and, it's, and this is by God's design, and, and so we're just talking about in a perfect world here. By God's design, there would be a man and a woman married to each other, and they would have a daughter. There'd be a man and a woman married to each other, and they would have a son. This daughter would become a woman, and this son would become a man, and they would fall in love, and they would marry each other. Now, the question is, now, are they going to be a subset of one of these homes? Or is that going to bring all three of these homes together and it's just going to become one big home? Well, you know the answer to this, but think about it. Why do you know the answer? You know it because you know Genesis 2 and 24. God never intended for this home to become something under the authority of the wife's home or the father's home, the, the, the husband's home. Instead, this home to these two, to this man and to this woman, becomes the highest priority so far as homes of any home on this earth. They're not under mother and father. That home is most important. 
How do we know that? Because of that strong word that was used that teaches us a powerful principle. Therefore shall a man leave mother and father and cleave to his wife, marriage, be joined to his wife, and those two shall become one flesh. So what in the Bible is the very first thing that we learn about parenting from God? And isn't this interesting? The first thing we learn about parenting from God is that God would say, I want you to recognize that I've given you the role as a mother and a father and that authority that you have in their life to get them ready for life, ready for what? Ready to leave is a short term role. You need to take it serious. When you think about a chart here, and I'd like for you to think about the time that that baby was put in your arms for the very first time. And at that moment, you as a parent had almost 100% responsibility. At that time, about the only thing the child could do to help you out is they could cry to let you know that that was like an alarm, I'm hungry now. Or they could cry to tell you, I need my diaper changed now. Or they could try, cry to tell you that some way I'm uncomfortable or in some kind of pain. But that's about the only thing they could do. Everything else was 100% the responsibility of the mother and father. Did your baby ever get up in the middle of the night and fix their own bottle? You know, when you got ready to load the, the SUV or the minivan up and that little nine pound baby required 300 pounds of stuff, did they help you ever, did they ever once help you load it up? I mean, think about it. When they came and were placed in your arms, you had 100% responsibility. And you know what God says? God says, parents, get them ready to leave. That's what he says. He says, there's coming a time where that responsibility shift, because think about it. If we're going to put it on a chart, over here, the parent's responsibility is 100%. The baby's responsibility wouldn't even be 1%. Down here is the time that they're going to leave. And at this time, the child's responsibility that is now growing into a young man or a young woman, their responsibility becomes 100%. And the parent's responsibility would be hardly anything if we do it right. What does it mean to leave? It's not just language to say, oh, I saw them walk off. They left. No, it's the idea of them being mature. It's the idea of them being responsible. It's the idea of them being financially independent. It's the idea of the child becoming a man, a husband, a, a woman, a wife. And the reason I said husband and wife, they are ready to take on the responsibility of adult roles. And so then we say, okay, last week we talked about that ultimate, that we want our children to reach the eternal home. But now this week, we're only talking about, and you have to pick out what you and, and, and your spouse thinks the, the, the number is. Are you wanting your children to be ready to leave at 18? Are you wanting them to be ready to leave at 19, 20, 21, 22? You have to figure out what that formula is going to look like for your family. But whatever that age is, where you say this is real unique, during this time period, so much of the responsibility is on us. 
But as it goes, our 100% becomes 98, 95, 90, 80, 70, 60, 50, 40, 30. Their responsibility becomes less than 1% to 2% to 3% to 5% to 10%, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. How do we do this? You remember last week we talked about the pilot doesn't fire up the engines until he knows the destination? The architect has to lay out the plans. The blueprints have to be made. The contractor doesn't put one shovel in the ground until they know what they're building. Parents, if you have children at home right now, I want to ask you a very, very important question. Maybe they're still young enough that they're in your arms. Maybe they're somewhere in between that. But you need to decide two things and you need to be thinking about this tonight and over the next week. And some of you have already done this. But if you haven't done this, this is absolutely necessary. You need to decide what your time frame is. When do you expect your children to be ready to leave? You get to pick that out. You're the parent because you're going to train them about when they're leaving. Now, the second thing that, that you need to know is what are they going to be when they leave? The pilot has a destination in mind before he fires up the plane. The contractor knows what the finished product looks like before he ever puts a shovel in the ground. You and I ought to know the characteristics that we want our children to grow into before they leave home. Now, if you haven't created a list of those characteristics, and I know I've said this to some of you in class, and I'll be honest with you, I would be greatly disappointed in you, those of you that we've studied this before, if you haven't done it, because you're missing out. You're missing out. More importantly, your child is missing out on the training that they need. What would the list of characteristics be? I'm not suggesting to you that I have any kind of exhaustive list of what those characteristics ought to be, but I just want to read to you a list that was very important to us, and then I'm only giving you that for something to think about and to make sure that you create that list. When a child is 18, shouldn't they already by then be a person of integrity, respectful, responsible, in every way, strong work ethic, can manage their personal finances well, spiritual in everything, love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love their neighbor as their self, love, respect, and obey the scriptures and see them as truth. They should know their purpose in life and what their abilities are that God has given them and already be using them thoroughly. Compassionate. Loyal to their God and to their family. Now what if that's our finished product at 18? How would that change what we did at two? And when they were four, and when they were six, and when they were eight, and 10, and 12, and 14, and 16. You see, it makes a huge, huge impact upon us when we realize the work that has to be done in such a short time. 
You see, then it might give us greater insight. I want to go to two passages tonight, and you're going to know them well. And the reason I say that is I don't want you to dispel them. I don't want you to just cast them off and say, oh, oh yeah, I know those. I want you to think about it. in this picture where the first thing that the Lord says in the scriptures about parenting is he says, raise them up to leave. Okay, how, how do we do that? Let's start out in Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Isn't that interesting, the idea of train up a child? It's the idea that that child is growing. Many of us here have trained a vine. Now, others of you haven't, and that kind of, you're like, what in the world is that? It's just this simple. You, you get a trellis, and as the vine grows, you, you tie it in certain directions because you may want it to grow and fan out. You may want it to grow real narrow and real straight and tall. You may, you may want it to grow in a certain design. You go to Disney World, places like that. You see all of these plants and shrubbery that they have been trained to go in a certain way. The Lord says, I want you to train up a child in the way it should go. Here's the way it should go. We've created it. This list of characteristics that that individual would be successful when they walk out the door at 18 if they can fulfill those things in their life. So what are we going to do at the times that's appropriate in their life for them to learn various degrees of those characteristics? We are training them. In other words, we're tying them up, if you will, to grow in this direction. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it really brings it to light for me. Did you know that one description of the word train up literally means to narrow. Let that sink in. It means to narrow. In other words, if you're training something, you narrow many other possibilities. They're, they're not possibilities anymore. You've narrowed those. So now you're down to, oh, you want to train for the Olympics. Okay, you're not going to eat fried apple pies for supper anymore. That's been narrowed. That's out of the picture. Oh, you want to go and, and just have a lot of fun in the evenings. You're not going to be doing that because you're going to be up at four in the morning and you've got workouts throughout the day and you have certain things that you even do in the evening. You see, a lot of possibilities have been brought down to a very narrow scope when you are in training. Parents, I want you to think about the contractor building a building. And he's in the early stages of the building and someone says, oh, let's just put a wall up over there. Wouldn't that be exciting? Well, if you don't know what you're working for, sure, that'd be exciting. Let's put a wall there and a wall there and a wall there. What if instead someone comes and says, hey, with your kids, let's put a wall here. And he says, I need to get the blueprint out. I need to see, no, our plans won't allow for a wall there. We're narrow. We are training. There is something that we are working toward here. There is a destination that we want to arrive at. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. 
There's only a few different places where the Lord seems to create a double standard for children. In other words, children are expected to obey most of the commands that God gives to adults in, in, in appropriate ways, I'm saying that. But yet there are just a few verses that are specifically giving teaching to the responsibility of children. And you remember Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 are those. Verse 1, children are supposed to learn to obey their parents. Verse 2, they are to honor their parents. But then we see the responsibility of the one that is to do that training. In other words, I alluded to this last week, when we see a child that is not obedient, it is foolish to look and say, ah, I can't believe that child. What is wrong with kids today? They don't have a trainer. Right? He, he gives verse 1 and 2 of what children are supposed to do. And then we read verse 4. And you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath. Great challenge here. But bring them up. So now we, we have this idea of them growing. Bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Admonition, if you want to just be real, uh, just, just real uh, matter of fact. It's the idea of if you can just place in the child's mind the correction that they need. Admonition. It carries with it somewhat a type of rebuke, but it's the idea of getting it in their mind. Like if you could just have a hinge and open up and just put stuff in there that you want, that would be admonition. And so he's saying, look, there's certain things I want you to admonish your child about. I want you to get this in their mind. But before he says that, he says, as you bring them up, I want you to bring them up in the training of the Lord. In other words, there are going to be so many things that they don't need in their life. You need to bring it down narrow. But in that narrow way, there are so many things they do need in their life. Get the things in their life that is going to produce that end result that they are ready to leave. I'd like to share with you a little illustration I made up. And if it hits close to home, I'm not doing that intentionally, okay? Sometimes people, it seems like we operate as if the word training doesn't exist and that it's not even in the Bible. I want you to keep in mind that, that the word training has nothing to do with a child fully understanding what they're asked to do. Well, you train animals and they don't fully understand. They just know that they are conditioned to obey. And, and so it's interesting how oftentimes as parents, we operate as if training's never mentioned, but yet it is mentioned. And it's mentioned for good reason, it's needed. And so then we look at it sometime and say, well, I guess it is there, but I really don't know how you do training. I really don't know what training is. Like if somebody said to you, hey, this week, young parents, this week, I want you to work on training your child. There are probably some parents that say, I don't have a clue what you mean by that. How, how would you train a child? You know, what's interesting is we say we don't have a clue. But you know what? All of us know. We know when something is trained. You go out and eat supper tonight at a restaurant and you let a waiter or waitress come up that has had absolutely no training and serve you tonight. And then tomorrow night you go to the same restaurant and you let a waiter or waitress come up that has had the best of training 
And you know, we're not going to have to tell you which one was trained and which one wasn't. You have co-workers, you have one that's been highly trained for the job, and you have one that is not trained at all for the job. Nobody has to tell you which two those are. Nobody has to tell you when you see one dog that's trained and one dog that's not trained. We, we quickly know the difference. Here's my illustration. You decide you're going to get a little puppy. So you get your little puppy and what you find out is that little puppies like to run. Every time you let your little puppy out of the house, go use the bathroom, you have to chase it 10 laps around the house just to catch it. And you're always afraid it's going to get run over because half those laps are out in the middle of the street. And you're beginning to get embarrassed because you know that the neighbors are tired of hearing you yell the dog's name for 10 minutes for 10 laps around the house. And so one morning you've gone through that routine that you've done every morning for the last two weeks. Except this time, right when you catch that little critter, you put it in the old double arm bear hug and you're holding it tight and it's squirming and you look over and you see your neighbor coming out to get the newspaper. And so you think, well, I guess I ought to walk over and speak to them. And so you're trying to pretend that that squirming dog that's going crazy is not really in your arms and you walk over and you start to speak to them. The dog's still going crazy. And yet you notice their little dog has just trotted across the yard and is about to go over to the street, except your neighbor says, Fido, come back over here. The dog just turns around and comes back. Now you're really embarrassed. Hope he hasn't been seeing me for the last two weeks. So you're close to suffocating the dog at this point and wouldn't mind if he did. And, and then when the dog comes back to his side, you see your neighbor just casually say, sit down. And the dog just sits there. And are you embarrassed? Your dog's kind of embarrassing not being trained. And it's kind of awesome to see a dog that's trained. You're thinking, I don't really like my dog very much. I like their dog a lot. I'm not saying you ought to feel that way about your kids, but I'm just... All right, and so... Okay, now, you know a lot of other things running through my mind just then. We're not going to say. All right, now, so what you do is you take on the American mindset. And the American mindset is you can buy anything you want. You know, like when you're having company over and you tell your kids, if you act up, I don't know what I'm going to do to you, but if you will just be good tonight, we'll go to Walmart and you get any toy you want. And so you have that mindset. And so, so you, you sit down and you Google best dog trainers in Wilson County and you're just going to look for the one that's the most expensive because after all, that has to be the best one. So you find a guy that can train your dog for $500. You think that's a little bit steep, but how awesome is it going to be when you and your neighbor both go out at the same time and neither one of you are chasing your dog? So you like this idea. So you take your dog and you drop him off at the trainer and the trainer says, give me three weeks, come back and I'll have your dog ready for you. And so three weeks passes and you are so excited. You can't wait to go pick up your dog. And yet when you go to pick up your dog, you drive into the place of business and the owner of the business comes out and your little dog you know what he does he scoots right by the owner just like he used to do you at the house and he runs out into the yard and he runs laps around that place of business and the owner yells his name just like you used to do 10 times around and finally scoops him up in the street he composes himself catches his breath and he comes back over to you he's double clutching your dog just like you did and he says you have the best dog in the world I have loved training your dog. Let me tell you something. 
Your dog is special. I've trained a lot of dogs. Don't get me wrong. I love them all. But there's something special about your dog. I tell you what I did. I offered your dog all the love and attention and gifts I could possibly give him. You know, your dog loves to bark at night. I would just get up at night and sit with it. And sometimes I'd even howl with your dog at night. With it. We just had the best nights together. And you know what? Your dog loves to eat all the time. All I did was just feed it treats. That's why it's so fat. Now, listen, you, you have got, and your dog loves to run. Oh, I just love chasing your dog and saying its name 10 times around the business every day. Listen. I have trained your dog so well. And I usually don't do this, but it's because your dog's special. Your dog is really special. You know what? I even bought your dog a cashmere sweater. It's only 150. I put it on your tab. Your dog deserves the best. Your dog deserves the best. It's just not like the other little dogs. It's special. And by the way, so now that'll be $650 and you can take your dog. You happy with that? What does your child deserve? Does your child deserve a lot of gifts? Does your child deserve a parent that thinks they are really, really special? Kids, don't get me wrong, all right? I love you, but I want to tell you something. Your child's not all that special. God's made them all. He really did. I really think that kind of arrogance in parents is what's hurting a lot of Christians raising their children. Every time I speak on parenting on weekends, I can write it down. A mom or a dad's going to come up after the seminar and they're going to walk up and they're going to begin by saying, my child's really gifted and they're really special. They really are a blessing to us. And I know what's about to come the word but but the problem we're having and before I hear anything else I just want to say where you begin that's the problem your child was made special by God who makes all children special now what your child needs is your child needs training they need some things taken out of their life they need some things put into their life what do you want your child to be what are you doing to get them there they can't do it on their own children are supposed to obey children are supposed to honor their parents but they can't do it on their own they don't know how to do it on their own God gave them a trainer God gave children a trainer. Now, the trainer can do their job or the trainer cannot do their job, but the trainer has to decide, am I going to train this child up in the way he should go? And I'm going to train this child up in the nurture, in the admonition of the Lord, or am I not? And last week, we spent a lot of time talking about how valuable your children are. They are, they're a gift from God. But tonight, I want to beg you to realize that as parents, you're valuable. Your children need you. They need you to put the things in their life that they need. And sometimes that's the word no. All of the time, it's consistency. All of the time, it's love and patience. All of the time, it is instruction. Their needs, think about with me just for a minute and we'll start wrapping this up. Think about Genesis, the second chapter. We have the perfect father and we have imperfect children. And what does the perfect father do? Are you still there? Look back at Genesis 2. 
Notice what the perfect father does in 16 and 17. And the Lord God, this is Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, I should have started back in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. What do we see in 15? What we see in these three verses is we see that God gave him responsibility. This was before he sinned. I've heard people say, well, you know, man didn't have to work until after he sinned. That's not right. God gave Adam great responsibility before he ever sinned. It's just after he sinned, the thorns and the thistles were added and it was going to be a lot harder work. But work is a blessing. Having responsibility is a blessing. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So in this verse, what we see is the perfect father gave the child of his responsibility. He gave him positive teaching. You see all these trees? You can eat of every one of them. I put them there for you. He gave him negative teaching. This tree right here, I'm not going to put it out back. I'm not going to put it in a closet out of sight. It's the tree right here in the middle of the garden. You're not allowed to eat of that tree. And then forth, he gave consequences. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Parents do not have a right to punish a child that they have not first clearly instructed what they can do, what they can't do, and what the consequences are if they don't do it. And then I would add on the front of all of that, it's really pretty mean to punish a child that's doing wrong if you've never taught them responsibility. You know how a lot of time we do monthly themes. Back a few weeks ago, uh, I told Tracy, I said, jot down a note for me. Next year sometime, we're going to spend a whole month and it, not just on children. Not, we're going to spend a whole month on responsibility. When did we as a society start thinking that responsibility is a negative thing? I shared with you a few weeks ago, the millennials that are putting off marriage say they don't want to get married because they do not want the responsibility Listen, we don't have to go back many decades. And I'm not saying one decade's a better generation than another, but about this, we don't have to go back many decades to where you could find a 13 or 14 year old young man and he would say, I want responsibility. I look forward to responsibility being given to me. You could find teenage girls that would say, I look forward to responsibility that comes along with womanhood. And some way today, we have produced, not just the millennials, we have produced generations in America that not only is nobody responsible, nobody wants responsibility. I don't know exactly how we got there. But over the next several months, when I read scriptures that pertain to it, I'm going to jot notes down. And I want us to get to the bottom of what God says, because I assure you this, God speaks about responsibility as if it's something wonderful. My Bible reads, if anyone, anyone doesn't work, neither should they eat. My Bible doesn't say adults. Work is a wonderful responsibility 
that God gave man before sin ever entered into this earth. If we're going to train up our children, if we're going to teach them to make right decisions, one of the places we have to start is the need of obedience, but number two, the willingness to be and learn responsibility. Tonight, there are a lot of details we could put in all that. But just in this brief period, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to raise children that are responsible. Give them chores that they have to do daily or they don't eat. And let them wrestle with God's Word. And preferably, occasionally, please don't get mad at me, occasionally give them jobs that they don't like. That's when you learn responsibility. Listen, we play as long as we like it and we leave it and nobody cares. What's the difference in work and play? One of the huge differences in work and play is work is a responsibility and we stay with it, period. Everybody in here that has a full-time job, you have things about your work that you absolutely do not like. You know why we do it? Because we are responsible. How foolish is it to let a kid get to be 18 years old and leave home and they have never had to regularly do something they do not like. Now make sense of that. That's why we are raising an irresponsible generation. Train. Train up a child in the way he should go. What's that child going to look like at 18? I'll close with this. That love and that nurturing must always be a part of the training. Please get this, parents. Discipline can never take the place of training. Punishment should never take the place of training. That's cruel. It's very cruel. It's close to being abusive. When we punish a child, we have never trained. But to love them and to get in there beside them and work with them and teach them responsibility, what a blessing that is. Tonight, I need to say to you, I don't think I'm a perfect parent or anywhere close to even being a good parent. I didn't preach you this lesson because I think I've got something figured out from personal experience about parenting. I preach you this lesson because it's principles from the Word of God and we've got wonderful children, we've got wonderful parents and we just need to make sure that since we only pass this way once that we do it the very best we can all for the glory of God. I'll close with this. It's not about so you and I can look like the best parents. Don't dislocate your elbow trying to pat yourself on the back and say, I'm a great parent. Instead, you be praying about your brothers and sisters and about their children because if you haven't gotten to this point yet, what you're going to realize one of these days is you want the people around you to do a good job parenting too because their kids are going to have a lot of influence on your children. We all want to succeed in parenting. It's not a comparison, comparison deal. It's not a, can I outshine you? Can my child look more disciplined than your child? It's not that by any means. It's about raising children 
that can reflect the glory of God. And with that in mind, we're about to sing a song of encouragement and we think of each of us as children of God. Do we reflect the glory of God in how we live? Have you ever become a Christian? If not, can you give one good reason why you wouldn't become a Christian? Think about that. There cannot be a good reason to not become a Christian. If we can help you with that tonight, we would love to see you baptized into Christ. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way, you've left it and you wanna come back. You wanna narrow your focus. It's really interesting to think about almost every principle we talked about tonight is how God deals with us as his children. Tonight, if we can help in any way,